And uh, so he's watching and he's making a note. So it's 1040. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, who's master of your life? Yes, I pray that he is and I pray that he's even more so. If he's not, this morning is the time to decide. Once and for all, Jesus is going to be the boss of my life. That's what it means. Lord, master, boss. You know, you and I are not independent human beings. We can't exist on our own. And we can't exist without God. So I want to ask you this morning, do you first of all know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know him as your Lord? And the if this morning, this is a series of messages about if. If only we hadn't eaten the fruit that we were supposed to not to eat. And how many ifs are being uttered in the lake of fire? Well, it's not the lake of fire yet, but in Hades anyway today. If, if only I'd have asked Jesus into my heart many, many years ago, whenever it was, the ifs. So, this is the text, but it's not going up on the screen. Uh, the text we all know. Psalm 23 and verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And do you know that only Christians can recite Psalm 23 honestly? It only applies to Christians. The Lord is my shepherd. If, if the Lord Jesus isn't somebody's shepherd then he's not Lord, and he's not their shepherd. So the Lord is my shepherd. Can you honestly say that this morning? If not, I pray you will by the end. You and I, you see, we cannot operate alone, or we can try it, and we have done. We've all done that. But you see, you and I are wired to worship. Did you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning during the worship session? There is no point in us singing and raising our hands and doing whatever else we do in worship if God isn't real. If Jesus isn't longing for our worship, then we'd be foolish to be singing for nothing. People do that in the shower, but uh, I don't because I don't take showers. Do you know that? Yeah, there is an answer to that one, but that's all right. Worship means that there is a master, and that somebody is the servant. True worship is our spirit connecting with God's spirit. That's when we truly worship, and I pray you've done that already this morning and will do again. The Lord is my shepherd, and I'm a sheep of his pasture, etc. So where are we going this morning? We're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning, one after the other, but we're not there yet. You know, there's only been one time in the history of the world when it was perfect, and that was in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. There was wonderful harmony, wonderful innocence, wonderful purity in the Garden of Eden for a while. We're not sure for how long. But can you imagine God and Adam and Eve walking together, talking together, laughing together? Oh, Jesus has a sense of humor. I want to prove that in a little while from Genesis. I hope we've all got a sense of humor. I have. We laughed last night like nothing is happening. Where's, where's Pastor Sam and I? They, oh, there they are. Right, right, right. We laughed, and I laughed, big belly laughed. I tell you who was the good one for belly laughs. That was my mother-in-law when she was on the earth. Oh, boy, whole, whole being just shook. So in the Garden of Eden, we have Adam and Eve as servants, and God as their master. All went well for a while, peace, harmony, contentment, and innocence. But then... Sometime after God created Adam and Eve, and before Cain came along, the general drift is that 
um, Cain would come along fairly soon because Adam and Eve had perfect genes. So it's going to be at least nine months. But somewhere in that time, Satan came down and bothered Eve and spoiled the broth, so to speak. So in the space of one and a half chapters in the book of Genesis, we can read it, we're going to read it this morning. We've got comedy, we've got surgery, we have a wedding, we have the ground rules for marriage, that's especially important. We have seeds of doubt, we've got sin, dereliction of duty, man's foolishness, Loss of fellowship, sovereignty of God, passing the buck, we do that very well. Penalty for sinning, God's perfect provision, and God's perfect love. All that in a chapter and a half of Genesis. So you see, Satan came into the garden and he tempted Eve. He basically accused God of being a spoil sport. Adam and Eve, God is withholding something from you that you desire. You're missing out on life. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they were basically thumbing their noses at God. I'll do it my way. Right, Jeremy's been in that class. Dr. Franklin. I'll do it my way. And we've all been guilty of that. As you may know, I'm a stickler for reading obituaries. Every day I will check macaws, creatures, reflections, and marshals. And I read just before I go to sleep, well, just before we pray at night. I'll read the obituaries. I don't read them out to Lucy, only the odd one. She's reading something else. But I read all the obituaries from Saturday's Edmonton Journal. Very sad, some of them, many of them. And what has been sad in the last year or so, he or she lived life on their own terms and died on their own terms. Meaning, physician-assisted suicide. They have chosen how and when to die. That happens here in Lloydminster. I want you to know that if you don't know that already. It happens, and it happens uh, with residents in our care homes. They, the people don't just put a needle in them, but they ask, and they have family gather around, and they pass away. Very, very sad. Very sad. I want to look very briefly at three personalities in the Bible before we look at Genesis chapter 2. Um, very well-known characters in the Bible, godly people, but how they lived on their own terms for much of their life. Moses, prime example, one of the heroes of the faith. Moses, first 40 years of his life, learned to be a prince in Pharaoh's palace, learned the language, learned the culture, and uh, no doubt didn't really live a godly life, or we had some... Um, inkling of what serving God was about from his parents. But when he went into the palace, I doubt it. So that was up to the age of 40. At the age of 40, he murdered an Egyptian. And so he fled to the Midianite desert, the Midian desert, where he found a wife and they had children. He lived the next 40 years on the run because was the Pharaoh going to find him? And then when he was 80 years of age, so God's not finished with most of you yet. My father-in-law is here this morning. He's 94. And, um, uh, but Moses was 80 when God called him. Remember that? God called him from the burning bush and set him on a new road, a new way to victory in life, leading the Hebrew people, of course, led by God out of Egypt into the promised land. But at the age of 80, Moses changed masters. Another one, Saul. Saul, New Testament Saul, that is. Oh, a brainy man, more brains than probably all of us put together. He was a lawyer, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, 
one of the greatest intellects who's ever lived. But boy, was he cruel. He thought he was serving God. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But as a faithful Hebrew, he served God. But on the road to Damascus, do you remember now, Saul would have been at least 30 years of age, probably mid to late 30s. And when Saul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus simply shut him down. Jesus simply said, enough is enough. And the short story is, Saul gave his life to Jesus. And the Lord changed his name to Paul. And for the rest of the time, Jesus was his master. Is Jesus your master and my master today? Peter was the third one. Simon Peter. He was like a, uh, he, he was like a bull in a china shop. The leader of the apostles. He had gusto. He was impulsive. As I say, like a bull in a china shop. Remember the time he cut the, the uh, God's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane? Etc., etc. I don't know that I'd do that. I remarked to uh, Pastor Darrell last week, I said, oh boy, how am I going to wear that mic? Because I, I had a good mic at Living Faith, but um, because I have, I have a physiological problem. I want you to know that. My wife has known that for a long time. I do have a problem physically. Um, I have the opposite of what Prince Charles has. Prince Charles has big ears. I have small ears. So I have a very hard time uh, keeping these things on. All right? But anyway, Simon Peter... God never gave up on Peter, who did everything possible wrong. He denied ever knowing Jesus. Three times he did that at the crucifixion. Remember that? And then just a few weeks after the resurrection, Jesus took Peter aside in the Sea of Galilee and had a little talk. Peter, you and I are going to have a little talk. And the talk was, if you remember, three questions. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And from that moment on, Peter had Jesus as his master. He wasn't just operating by himself. So, here we go. That was the introduction. Um. We're here today, October the 24th, 2021. Life for some of you, for most of us, is like this. How can we get it to be like this? See, if Jesus is Lord of our lives, this will be done away with. One day up, one day down. One day up, three days down. And we want it to become like this, and the Bible has the answer. When we are masters of our lives, we tend to know it all. Jesus is simply an add-on. In the distance somewhere, we're able to call upon Jesus when we need healing, or we need money. Okay, we'll, we'll ask Jesus for the money. We'll ask Jesus for a job. At best, the Holy Spirit is used. And we, in effect, become a dictator to Jesus. Doesn't sound good, does it? Doesn't sound good. But when Jesus is master, I know myself too well. I am a, a work in progress. Help me, Lord. That's the vocabulary we'll work with. I think everybody knows Matthew 6 and 24, Jesus' words, no one can serve two masters. See, and there we have it from Jesus. There are only two. There are not hundreds of masters in our lives. It's one or the other. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. God and money. God and the world system of self. So are we ready? Are we ready to make Jesus our master simply by recognizing our weaknesses and realizing how much God loves us? If you've got your Bibles, your sword here this morning, I won't ask for a show of hands. That's what they do in Bible college. But anyway, 
Um, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to, sorry, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to sit in the second half of Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to go through the whole of chapter 3. Anybody who I've married over these many years will know exactly where I'm going with this. But this is exciting. It's exciting scripture. Okay, Genesis 2. We're going to start at verse 15. We're going to look at 15, 16, and 17. The texts up there are all from the New American Standard, so it, it matches with mine. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Simple instruction, simple life. Adam and Eve had the run of the Garden of Eden. It was beautiful. They had no need to seek any other beauty. All their food was provided in the garden. They had no need to look anywhere else. All they had need to was to obey that one rule. You know the human failing. I probably failed at it many times. You cannot do this. You must not go there. And that's the very thing you and I do. Isn't that right? The very thing. If our mother says don't touch that, I can guarantee you in a short while we'll touch it. That's human nature. That's fallen human nature. And so there was a simple instruction there, but I want you to keep your mind on what God says in that verse because of what's coming up later. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, let's, uh, let's go on to Genesis chapter 2 and 18 and 19. We're just going to go through the verses as is. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. That shows the supremacy of man over nature. Man was supposed to be in charge of the garden, creation in general, the earth in general today, to look after it as good stewards. That's why if somebody turns the tap on in our house for too long, I'll have something to say about it. But um, the kids know all about that. Um, supremacy of man over nature. Uh, the supremacy of God, actually, over the universe. See, some people... Many people and many theologians will just tear out the whole of Genesis up to the flood at least and tear out other bits of the Bible because, no, that's not possible. That's simple myth. It's not science, etc., etc. Oh, no. Oh, no. The sun. The sun, a ball of fire, a ball of gas in the universe. Who's holding it up? Who's making it burn? We have the earth. The earth is just the right distance from the sun to give us some heat. Not Maybe not so much today, but God has it perfect. The moon, just a simple piece of rock. And yet in the fall, when I spent a year in Labrador, this is way back, 1969. No street lights, no power, no nothing. And in September, on a moonless night, there was no moon, because no roads, just little pathways through the, uh, through the grass. I would stumble. If I went to visit somebody, I'd stumble, I'd fall, I'd do all kinds of things. I'd eventually get there. No moon, no light, no nothing. And yet, come the end of October, snow was there in November, the moon shone enough to read a book outside. You all know about that. But it's amazing. Just a simple piece of rock in space. 
And yet the sun can shine up to that face of the moon and shine down to us, reflect it down to us. Absolutely amazing. The earth, who holds the earth in space? Is it Charles Atlas? I can't remember. No, it's God. Amazing. The earth hangs on nothing except the word of God. And it spins. It spins around itself like this. It's, it spins around the sun and it spins on its axis. The axis moves every day. Not by degrees, but at least by minutes and seconds. Every day. So that in December we will be further away from the moon and then we'll come and lean back towards the sun. Amazing, amazing. The moon pulls the water all around the earth just like a magnet so that you can forecast 50, 100 years in advance when a high tide is going to be, twice a day, of course, in the Bay of Fundy, Kogluktuk Copper Mine with the Arctic Ocean, you can calculate it. Absolutely amazing. Only God can do that. I have trouble remembering how to get dressed every morning. What do I put on first? It's not really because I have a routine. But anyway, um, the supremacy of God. He is the master. We are the servant. Chapter uh, 2, verse 20. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. This is God's little bit of comedy. Can you bear with me for a moment? You're thinking, where's the comedy in that? Well, remember in the previous verse, God had gathered the animals and paraded them before Adam. And here Adam is looking for a wife. And there's not one found that's suitable for him. God paraded the rhinoceros before Adam. Adam shook his head and God did too. God paraded a snake before Adam. No, that's not going to work. God paraded a porcupine before Adam. Well, that's what it says, isn't it? No, that's not going to work very well. Hmm. God has a sense of humor. I hope you have a sense of humor. Oh, indeed. Okay, verse 21. Verse 21, And the Lord God fashioned... Sorry, not that one. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. That is the first. Anybody want to? First surgery. Thank you. This, these are the ones I go through with, uh, with couples about to be married. We have great fun getting these firsts out. The first surgery. Well, what else is it? caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and he slept, took one of his ribs, and fashioned Eve. You see, and, and the skeptics say, God can't do that. That's silliness. That's foolishness. Well, we, we've sung this morning that God created us out of the dust of the earth. God, God created everything else out of nothing. Out of nothing. So that's nothing for a God to take a rib out of Adam and form Eve. Amazing, isn't it? The first surgery. But here we have another first. Oh, in the next verse, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The first, thank you, the first wedding. Where? Absolutely. What happens at the beginning of most Western weddings and some Eastern weddings? The father of the bride brings the bride down the aisle and meets the bridegroom right here. That's taken from that verse. God brought her to the man. 
That's why we do it. See, God happened to be the father of the bride. Isn't that right? He's the father of the bride. And he also made the bride, if you like, and he was the superintending minister at the wedding. That's the first wedding. Whenever I talk to people, if they're having trouble in marriage, the first thing we will go to is Genesis chapter 2. If anybody's having trouble, get our eyes and our heart in Genesis chapter 2. Because, let's read 20, well, it's 23. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then let's have a look at these last two verses, very uh, strategic verses. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If anybody is to ask me now, I've been a pastor for 40 years. Yeah, just over 40 years retired now for four. Um, what is the problem with most marriages? Not enough leaving and not enough cleaving. Not enough leaving. Parents, it could be other family, worldly things, bad habits, addictions. Not enough leaving and not enough cleaving. That's cleaving, being glued together. Have you ever glued yourself together with crazy glue? Oh, it's happened to me. But anyway, yeah, cleaving. That's what you and I need. You and I need in our marriage to leave and to cleave. Formula for innocence. Formula for purity. Formula for total communion with God and each other. There are boundaries in marriage which must never be stepped over. You can go back to this verse, leaving and cleaving, etc., etc. Verse 25 is interesting. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Why it's interesting is that a few verses later, they were naked and they were ashamed. So what happened? Something happened between the end of Genesis chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And so we're going to have a look at the first verse, and I entitle that, Adam's Big Mistake. And you think, well, he's not even mentioned in this verse. Okay, let's see. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Adam is not mentioned, and yet I say it's Adam's big mistake. That's the very reason it's Adam's big mistake. He wasn't where he should have been. It's like me today. I wasn't sitting with my wife. But thank you for all the wives and husbands who are sitting together. Um, that's the husband's place. Sort of guarding his wife. They, they go as a pair, a twosome, etc., etc. So do things together. Where was Adam. Well, he probably wasn't that far away, but he wasn't right next to Eve. And the serpent, Satan, saw an opportunity. Okay, I've got the weaker vessel here. Is the woman the weaker vessel? Yeah. Emotionally. Have you seen women operate emotionally? Men? Yes. They can cry at the drop of a hat. And they can cry when they're expecting babies. I, my wife would, would uh, stand at the kitchen counter, you know, and she'd be expecting our three children, not all at once, mind you. Um, and, and she'd be bawling her eyes out. I said, why are you crying? I don't know. That is nonsense to a man. I don't know. You've got to have a reason to cry. Adam wasn't where he should have been. So husbands, there's a great lesson for all of us. Be where you should be. And then it goes downhill from there, verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. 
But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Now, people say the first sin is when the fruit was eaten. I say not. There's the first sin right there. You noticed? When God gave the instruction, he says, you shall not eat from it or you will surely die. Eve has stretched the truth. She's added to the story, in other words, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Interesting. You and I have all been guilty of that. I think at one time or another, we stretched the truth. Somebody's given us a full message. We pass the news on to somebody else and we add a little bit. We're in the playground at school and there's a whole bunch of kids and uh, you whisper a story into this one's ear. By the time it's got to the other end, it bears no resemblance to the original story or the original saying. Eve stretched the truth. Or touch it. They could touch it, but just not eat it. Whoa, playing games with God. Oh, it was really going downhill. Verses 4 and 5. The serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. Hmm. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. Satan says you will not die. Really? Really? Something's wrong here, because God had said previously, if you eat from it, you will surely die. So either God is a liar, or Satan is a liar. If you put those verses together. Hmm. Did Adam and Eve die after they'd eaten the fruit? And by the way, we have no idea what kind of fruit with, uh, it was, so correct anybody when they say apple. Could have been an apple, but whatever. Did they die on eating the fruit? Most people will say, no, they didn't die. But I think they did. I believe they did with all my heart. Oh, their body was still alive. Their bodies were walking around. And the bodies could touch things, etc., etc. But you and I are made up of more than body. What about soul? Their soul was still alive. They could think. They could reason. They had intellect. They had emotions. They could laugh and cry. Um, they could feel guilty, if you like. That's their soul. Body and soul, still alive. Uh-oh, spirit. Spirit. God is spirit. He gave, gave us the Holy Spirit when we became born again so that our spirit will be able to communicate with the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit who died. From then on, Adam and Eve ran on two out of three cylinders. Is that right? I got into trouble but it was good trouble. Soon after I arrived in Lloyd Minster, that'll be 1994, I preached a message about, uh, it, it was possibly about this subject, and I said in my uh, very proud, non-farming, non-mechanical mind, I said, well, of course, there's no such thing as a three-cylinder engine. <laughs> I know nothing. But anyway, Sid Quist was over here on his steel guitar. And at the end of the service, he took me aside and he says, do you know there is such a thing as a three-cylinder engine? And uh, that's quite true. And uh, so if you've got a three-cylinder engine, but it's only operating two out of three, you've got a bit of trouble there. And before we become born again. So in other words, if I could dare to put a figure on this, 80 to 85% of the people in Lloydminster are operating on two out of three cylinders. Body and soul, but no spirit. No wonder people are wandering. No wonder people are confused. I'm confused enough about the age in which we live. How, how about them? Maybe you're here today, you need to know Jesus as your Savior. But when we become born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, need to be born again of the Spirit. And Jesus comes in and activates our spirit, and we become operating three out of three for God. Interesting, isn't it? Verses 6 and 7. 
When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate it. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. You see, he should have said no and he should have said no at that point as well. Double trouble. How easily you and I cave to sin. Is that true for us all? I think so. I think so. So verse 7. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So what happened? Before they were naked and were not ashamed, everything was fine, and now they're naked and they're ashamed, full of guilt, etc., etc., Yes, they'd sinned, but I want to throw this out. I can't prove this. I can't even prove it from the word of God, but I just want to question it and just for you to go home and think about it. Were Adam and Eve in the perfect state clothed? Clothed. Now, the Bible says they were naked. Were they clothed? Were they clothed with the glory of God? Because they were innocent and perfect, sinless. And now, as soon as they sinned, whoosh, the glory of God lifted from them. Just, yeah, think about that one. Put that in your heart and ponder upon it. And then we have, oh dear, oh dear, man's futile attempt at a temporary covering. They sewed fig leaves together. Now, some of you have been to Egypt, uh, Israel, sorry, as I have and we've seen fig trees. Boy, those leaves are big, big and leathery. But even fig leaves deteriorate and come apart after a while. So God must have looked down from heaven and shaken his head. Now remember, God doesn't laugh at us. He laughs with us. He has a wonderful sense of humor. He's looking down at Adam and Eve and seeing them sewing fig leaves together and, oh, yeah. Well, that's not going to last. Man's attempt to correct things is only temporary. 8 through 13. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? That's a little bit of a sense of humor again. That's God's sense of humor. Where are you? God knows everything. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And God's saying, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to admit where he was and why he was there. And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, oh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Whoa. We've all done that. Who broke this? What's the story? Oh, it was him. It was her. Oh, dear. The blame game. Fellowship lost now with God in a big way. You see, that's a, a marriage lesson there. The problem with sin was that the communication broke down. The walls were built. That's why I say you take all couples to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and there's the problem right there. Fourteen and fifteen, I'll keep going. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And this is the main part of the punishment here. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Very important verse. If you're in a definitely mainline church around the world on Christmas Eve, 
That will be the first reading, the punishment for Satan. Genesis 3.15 is a Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter verse. What? What's that? Okay. Who's her seed? Who's the seed of the woman? The seed is in the singular. By the way, in the original Hebrew, the seed of the woman is Jesus. So there's going to be enmity between those who serve you, Satan, and Jesus. He, Jesus, the Messiah, shall bruise you, Satan, on the head. In other words, a fatal blow. That's what it means. He's going to deal you a fatal blow, and you, Satan, shall bruise the Messiah, Jesus, on the heel, a non-fatal blow. But then some of you are going to say, no, 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 it's the other way around. Because if you like it was Satan, if you look at it this way, who killed Jesus on the cross. Ah, yeah, that's just bruising on the heel. Only Jesus' body was dead. And every, every part of him came alive on Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection morning. So Satan... The, the, uh, the word says here, and Jesus said it later, you're going to your death forever. You'll end up in the lake of fire. Aren't you happy because of that? But that is a Christmas, Good Friday, resurrection morning prophecy. Verse 16, we always have fun with this one. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I haven't had any kids, but it feels like I have. The, the, uh, the trauma when Lucy was giving birth first to Pastor Sam over there, and that was in Hay River many, many years ago. Um, the trauma for me when I was sitting by the bed holding Lucy's hand. I was sweating from head to foot. I was noting down the times of the contractions. Did I go through what Lucy went through? It felt like it. Yeah, no, she's not going to shoot me yet. No. Women, pain in childbirth. You can thank Eve for that. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Men get away with things pretty easily in life compared with women. Verse 17 uh, and uh, 18, 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree by which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Hard labor. Ask any farmer who's picking rocks. It takes work to be a farmer. It takes work to grow things in a garden. Punishment for the serpent, for Adam, and for Eve. Go on to verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all the living. That's fairly self-explanatory. But 21 is a very loving verse. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. There's God's love right there. The rest of the chapter is all God's love. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So he saw their predicament. The fig leaves were disintegrating. God, in his great mercy and his great love, killed, I believe, at least one, maybe two animals, which he had created in love sometime before. Get that? In order to provide the garments of skin for Adam and Eve. A reasonably permanent covering, if you like. 
That's the love of God. That's who you and I serve today. Not a God, God, I've no job. You've got to give me a job. I've got these bills. I need $150 by tomorrow morning. You've got to give me it, God. That, no, that's not the God we serve. Because if he is our master, he, I can guarantee you he'll provide. Guarantee you. Because the word says it. That was the first shedding of blood when God killed those animals. 4,000 years later, Jesus himself would shed his blood for you and for me. Okay, verses 22 to 24, the end of the chapter. Bear with me. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knowing good and evil, and now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I'll stop there for a minute. See, there were two trees that were named in the, in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life in the very middle of the garden, which if you ate that fruit, you would live forever in the state that you're in. And that was going to be a problem. Because in their sin, if Adam and Eve took the fruit of that tree, they would live forever in their sin. Do you know that here we have the tree of life? Beginning of Genesis, beginning of everything. The next time we come upon the tree of life is the last chapter of the Bible. And I saw the tree of life. The river was flowing from the throne of God, and on either side of it, the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, in its season. Wow. See, we're going to go full circle, but it's a good full circle. Now, verses 23 and 24, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the tree, sorry, from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And then, what I consider one of the most loving verses in the Bible, this one. Bear with me. So he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. If you look up when you get home, the, the Hebrew word, gorash, which is the Hebrew word translated in New American and many translations as drove. It means to drive out, to divorce, to expel and to thrust out. Always remember, Jack, always remember uh, Elwood McLean. And it was Elwood who illustrated it this way. He says the actual application of that uh, word drove, drove, driving the man out, because we think that's cruel, right? Because it, the picture of uh, a herd of cattle being driven by sticks, because you don't lead cattle. You lead sheep and you drive cattle. Isn't that right? There are cattle drovers, that's what they call them. And he drove Adam and Eve out like this. But his illustration was with the cattle, Jack. That's, that was a very good illustration. So to me, that's a very loving God. He did not want Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of life. So he literally drove them out in passionate love from the garden and then put a put cherubim there with flaming sword so that they could not get back in and live in sin forever if they ate the fruit. If only, Adam and Eve must have gone through every day, if only we had listened to God. If only we hadn't eaten the fruit. Adam, if only I had been standing next to Eve. It all went wrong. So today, the simple question is, have you made Jesus master of your life? Or is life like this, an emotional roller coaster, up and down, one day to the next? Today, have we got a fresh hunger for his word? You see, that's only out of a chapter and a half of Genesis. I wonder if sometimes people open the Bible, maybe not open it at all. No, it's too difficult. I can't figure that out. There are parts that are tough. 
But I'd suggest you go home today and look at that again. Don't take my word for it. Read the second part of chapter 2 and the whole of chapter 3, and there are the instructions for living. The instructions for saying yes to God. The instructions for a happy marriage. Instructions for a happy life. You know what they say, happy wife, happy life. But um, today, do we have a fresh hunger for this word? I pray that. Is Jesus our Savior and Lord? Have you drunk in his love? Have you allowed him to come by his Holy Spirit and just transform? He's our provider. Jesus said, you know, come here. Come here, all you that labor in a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He'll provide the answer. He'll provide the peace and the rest that you need. Jesus is our protector. He'll guard us from all so I'm going to ask us all to stand right now, if we could, please. And uh, you may know Jesus as your Savior. Do you know him as Lord, master of your life? It's a tough one. It's tough going at times. But you just need to make that decision. So I'm going to... Ask us to bow our heads now. We're going to sing a chorus just to close off in a moment. And I'm still under the hour, Pastor Darrell. Good. Okay. Um, let's just bow our heads. Let's just take stock of our lives. Takes us a long time, by the way, to get it right. Don't think I've got it right yet. I have not. I'm 70. How old am I? 72. That's right. Uh, I haven't got it right yet. I'm waiting for heaven with that. But as we bow our heads today, Lord Jesus, I just ask, Lord, the Holy Spirit would move and ah, just turn over people's souls and spirits this morning. Are we where we should be with reading the Word of God? Are we where we should be in our prayer life? Are we where we should be in acknowledging Jesus as Lord, boss, master of our life? So I'm not going to ask anyone to come to the front this morning. But as our heads are bowed, you want to say today, first of all, first of all, I want Jesus to come into my life and forgive my sin. I want him to be my savior. I'm going to ask the Lord one in just a moment. Will you raise your hand today and say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to confess my sins before him. I want him to come in to my life and set me on a new road that goes to heaven. Would there be one this morning? Okay. Second question. Jesus is your Savior. Maybe Jesus has been your Savior for 10 years, 50 years. But you want to make him Lord of every part of your life. Would you raise your hand and say, yes, that's 